Let's read the last section here of Philippians. Philippians 4, 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, we're going to, Lord willing, wrap up Philippians next week. And so it's been quite a while, it feels like longer in some ways because of all the stuff going on, but back in May uh, we started, it's about six, seven months, and then we'll finish it up next week. The last two, th- this week and next week, will really be in many ways just a review because Paul is going over themes that we've already covered multiple times, and which makes sense, he's wrapping up his letter so these last two weeks really will be covering a lot of things we've already covered, actually multiple messages. And so we're going to, that's where we're going the next two weeks. And then after that, I'm uh, going to start a new series. Um, and then kind of a more of a topical thematic series. And then that's going to take a little while, just kind of giving you an overview of where we're going. And then after that, we're going to do a series on essentials and how what's essential, what are the essential pieces of the Christian faith. So that's kind of where we're going the next, I don't know, five, six months. And back to Philippians for now. So about this week. So what could rob you of your joy. You know, joy is one of these themes that comes out in Philippians over and over and over. What could rob you of your joy in any circumstance? What could be one of the biggest dangers to joy? Is there something that could rob you of joy even in paradise, even in heaven, even in the new earth, even when everything is is just right? Well, that kind of happened, didn't it? Think about Adam and Eve. They were, they were in paradise walking with God, and yet something came in. One way we could talk about it, there's a lot of different pieces and aspects we could look at of the fall, but one certainly we could say was discontentment. They looked at the fruit, and they were discontent not having it. They were discontent with their standing. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to know good and evil. And so they took the fruit. In many ways, we could say discontentment is the root problem that, that caused all the suffering in our life up to this point, right? All the death that entered into the world right there at the fall was really a fruit of discontentment. We think about where we would be if they were content in God and where he'd place them. We would be able to know him and see him and there wouldn't, death wouldn't have entered into the world Sin and suffering, what could have been avoided? It just shows the danger of discontentment, which is really what Paul is going to talk about here is contentment. But discontentment is is definitely dangerous. 
And before we go on any further, I, was, I want, want to recommend a book to you called The Art of Divine Contentment. It's really short. It's only, I think it's less than 100 pages. No, just, just over 100 pages by Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson's my favorite um, Puritan author for many reasons, but one is he writes short books, and he's the most readable of the Puritans that I've read. I haven't read a ton, but what I have read, he's the most readable. And very short sentences and very memorable sentences, things like, a sea of suffering, it, um, sorry, a sea of suffering is better than a drop of sin. Things like that. Just very short, very memorable, very helpful statements. Almost, almost the whole book could be tweeted, one tweet at a time. That's how <laughs> short his sentences are. Which is, which is saying a lot because most Puritans, you couldn't tweet the title of their book. <laughs> so he, he's really readable and it's really helpful. And I'll actually be quoting from, from that book quite a bit. But just want to recommend it because we're not going to cover all we could cover. He wrote a whole book just on these verses here that we're going to cover today. And it's excellent. So just recommend that to you. Divine, the Art of Divine Contentment by Thomas Watson. It's out of copyright, so it's free in the public domain online. So you can read it for free. So let's talk about contentment, really, which is the topic we're going to talk about today. And in many ways, there's a lot of pieces that go into contentment. And one message is really going to be a simplification no matter what. But what I thought would be good is just to look back over Philippians, where we've come from, and Paul's example of contentment, what we've already learned about contentment. And we're going to be focusing in on these verses here in Philippians 4, but also looking back at Paul's example of contentment. So let's just look at these real zoom in on these verses about contentment here and read them one more time. Let's start here in verse 11. Let's read this together one more time. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, we already briefly covered kind of in the introduction the danger of discontentment. Think about what it robbed humanity of in the fall. Robbed us of paradise, of fellowship with God, of eternal life. Death entered into the world. But contentment being a da- discontentment being a danger goes out throughout the Old Testament. It's a theme Not only Adam and Eve, but the Israelites in the wilderness are discontent. They murmur against God. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, they sell this property. And they're not content either just to keep the money, part of it, and and say we've given a little bit. Or just to give it all. They want both. They want to say they gave all the money and keep some of it. And so they lie. And they die uh, in Acts for that in many ways it was it was lying but it was also discontentment not content either to have one or the other they felt like they wanted to do both so they took it by lying what we learn from the danger of discontentment in the old testament and the new testament is that contentment is not natural and that's why paul says here in these verses that contentment must be learned he says i have learned contentment is something that needs to be learned and if you have kids you know Kids aren't naturally content, right? Kids, you know, you don't have to teach a kid when there's toys, you know, to grab them and tell the other kids, you can't have this, it's mine. They know, you know, uh, in their heart, they have this natural bent towards discontentment. They want more, and it's dangerous. We're all that way. We're born that way. Really, because of Adam and Eve's sin and our own choices, So contentment is something that has to be learned. Learned from God. Let's think about Paul and his life and the examples up to this point that we've looked at that really are a good example of contentment. How did Paul learn contentment? Well, think about all the situation that he's speaking into here. Paul's in prison. Okay, That's the first context that we're in. Paul's in prison. 
not only is he, not only is he in prison, there's fellow, you know, professing Christians that are seeking to afflict him in his imprisonment. Remember that in chapter 1? They're preaching the gospel out of ambition, and he said specifically seeking to afflict him. What was his response there to that? He's in prison. There's this rivalry going on. People are kind of trying to afflict him, but his response, he rejoiced that the gospel was being preached. That's a pretty remarkable response. Not only is there division in professing Christianity, but specifically targeting him and his response, rejoice, rejoice that the gospel's going out, whether in pretense, whether in pretense or not, he's, it's going out, the truth is going out, and in that he rejoices. What else is the context here, another example of contentment? There's division in the church. We talked about that with you know these ladies that he calls out. And yet, what's his response as, as he writes this letter? Right at the beginning of chapter 1, he says, I thank God for you all. He thanks God for even those ladies. He thanks God for the Philippian church, even though it's not perfect, even though there's some division, some conflict in the church, his, his response is just to thank God for them. That's different. What about just the prison sentence? He's there, he could die, and what's his response? Philippians 1, 20 and 21, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So there's another example of contentment, just being in prison, looking at the op- options, the possibilities. I could die or I could live, but either way I'm content. I'm content either way. I'm content that either way for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is more of Christ. And so Paul is a great example to us of contentment. Think about back the very first message of Philippians all the way back in May was we looked in Acts where Paul's in jail and the you know the ground shakes and the doors open and he stays. He doesn't leave. I mean that's a wonderful example of contentment. Is that what you would do if you were in jail and God opened the doors would you just think maybe God wants me to stay? <laughs> that's not what I would think. I would be out you know, out of there. It's like, man, look, God opened the doors. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, what a miracle. But he, what even made him think? Maybe I should stay. Maybe I shouldn't go. I mean, that's a lot of contentment. Um, and before that, even them praising God in, in the jail, singing hymns. So there's, Paul's an example to us of contentment. Everything that I'm going to say from here on out is, is in many ways review because we're just kind of going over back things that Paul has already said in Philippians uh, that really relate to contentment, though we didn't talk about it that way at the beginning. And I'm going to give you uh, another acronym, which if you don't like those, just forget about the acronym part and just consider this my point one, two, three, four. But if you like them, for me, it helps me to remember the points. Very few of my own sermons even can I remember all the points months later, but with an acronym it does help me. And, by the way, it's biblical. There's quite a few psalms that are actually acrostics. So, like, a lot of them go A to Z or, you know, that Hebrew. So, Aleph to whatever the last letter is. I can't remember. But um, to help the Hebrew people memorize scripture. So, it's biblical. Um, and here's, here's the acronym here for what Philippians teaches about contentment. It's REST. R-E-S-T. REST. Okay. And I'll give you all four, and then we'll just go through them together. They're not in the best order in terms of logically, but it's you can remember it because it's the word rest. So give and take there. So the first R is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. E is just the word everything. We'll kind of go over that. S is the word silent. Silent. And T is the word thankful, thankful. So those are the four words and uh, the acronym. And so let's start with the R, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. We talked about this actually quite a few times, but Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul is rejoicing in the Lord always, and he's commanding us to rejoice in the Lord always. You remember this? We had a full message on this. We want to, in any circumstance, you, see, you notice that that's where Paul's contentment is not found, is not in circumstances, right? He says that specifically here in, at the end of Philippians 4. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So his contentment is outside of circumstance. It's not in how well it's going. Not if it's going good, not if it's going bad. His contentment is found outside of that. One place is rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. That's his command to us earlier on. No matter where we are, no matter what situation we're in, we can have joy in Jesus, right? No matter how bad it gets or no matter how good it gets, we have one reason to rejoice that never changes. It's Jesus. He never changes. He loves us. He's for us. He's with us. We can be like him. We can know him. He's covered our sin. Even just the person of Jesus, we can rejoice in. Just look at who he is. Read his life and just rejoice in knowing and seeing what is God like, we can rejoice in the Lord in all, in all circumstances. It's important. We talked about, you know, worship. You know, how if we take our priorities from the Bible, there's things that become priorities that maybe aren't necessarily priorities for us. We, you know, this is again review, but we talked about how for me, you know, way I grew up is you get up if you get up you read the Bible and you pray every day like that's like an A plus on the day type of thing and you you know don't do anything majorly wrong whereas in the Bible there's so many commands that are so different and go such against the grain of my tendency or maybe our culture's tendency just this command rejoice in the Lord always God wants us when we wake up every day one thing he wants us to do is rejoice in, in God, rejoice in Him, praise Him, worship Him, enter His courts with thanksgiving. We can praise Him. It's the priority. It's something we want to do. And you can see how it relates to contentment, can't you? If there's this major thing, something, one of the, maybe the main thing about contentment is we've got one thing, the best thing to rejoice in, God, do we do it? If we don't, of course, we could start getting discontent. It's like we're forgetting the big thing. We're forgetting the big thing that should be driving rejoicing and joy in our life if we don't rejoice in Him. It'd be... Well, I'll give you actually a, a little story from Divine Contentment. He, he gives an illustration. He says it's like... Contentment, discontentment in this world for the Christian is like seeing a man and he's walking through a beautiful field and you're not there. You're not walking through a beautiful field and the man is dressed in fine clothes and you don't have fine clothes and you start to think, ah, I wish I, my life was more like that I'm, and you start to become discontent. But that man walking through the beautiful field in fine clothes is on his way to an execution, to his own execution. Would you, should you envy the man if you have perspective, if you see what's going on? You don't envy the man in fine clothes and walking through a beautiful field if he's walking up to the gallows, right? Why not? Because you see the bigger picture. You see where he's going. And that's the same with us. That, the big picture is we know God. Our circumstances right now around us might not be good. They might be difficult. They might be more difficult than the next guy. But we've got to remember the big picture. We have God. We know God. We know Jesus. We're not going to the gallows. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're forgiven. What a reason to rejoice. What a way to forget. What a way to enter discontentment is to forget what Jesus has done for us, where we are. We don't want to look and envy others. We want to rejoice in the Lord wherever we're at. So that's the first point is rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what your circumstances. We can rejoice in the Lord. We don't want to forget it. We don't want to forget the big, the biggest thing that we have 
the biggest gift in our life really is God, that we can know him, that we're right with him, peace with him. So that's the R, rejoice in the Lord. The E is, is the word everything. This is the second point. The second thing that helps us to be content is to remember, there's a lot of verses we could run to, but basically remember that God is in control of everything. The first verse I want you to notice here is at the end in Philippians 4. It's in the immediate context. Because he says this to the Philippians in 4.19. My God will supply everything you need. Every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God's in control of everything. Everything in our life, everything in the whole world is in control of God. And he has said he'll provide everything you need. Everything. That's all-encompassing. That's one of the best words in the Bible. All, every, everything. Those are some of the best verses because they apply all the time. Every, every moment. God, wherever you are, is going to supply everything that you need. That's a reason to be content, isn't it? To remember, I may not have this thing that I want, but God's going to give me everything I need. There's a lot of other verses you could jump to here. One that I personally really like is in Psalm 145. I'll read it to you, kind of a paraphrase here. But uh, why don't I read you the actual verse and I'll paraphrase it. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. I like that verse from Psalm 145, verse 13. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. You could say it a little differently with the word everything. The Lord is faithful in everything he says, and he's kind in everything he does. Everything God does to you, whatever circumstance you're in, God's in control of it. And whatever's going on, whatever he's giving you, whatever he's not giving you, whatever's difficult, whatever's good, every piece of it is kind. God's being kind to you. It may feel really hard, but God is being kind. God is being kind to you. That's a promise from Psalm 145. Everything he does... He's kind. He's kind in everything he does. That's amazing to think. And something really to think about when you're in a difficult circumstance. This is kindness. This is God's kindness to me. It's hard right now. This is really difficult. But this is actually God's kindness and faithfulness to me. Everything. Everything God does has a purpose. Every, everything you need, God will supply. Everything God says, every promise he's made, he's going to fulfill. What a reason to be contented isn't it it's like a parent that says to their kid everything that you need i'm going to give it to you that that child if they trust their parent doesn't have to worry they don't have to worry god's going to give us everything we need we can trust him thomas watson again i'll give you a quote from him says this if we would be able to parse out our own comforts we would often parcel out that which is harmful for us it is not well for the child that the parent is it not well for the child that the parent should choose for it? Were it left to the child, the child would perhaps choose a knife and cut its own finger. God gives us everything we need. He doesn't necessarily give us everything we want, everything we would choose. He doesn't say, whatever you want in your life, uh, I'll give it to you. He says, whatever's best for you, whatever's most kind, whatever you actually need, that's what I'll give. Whatever's best. God will give us everything we need. He'll give us everything that's good. Those, uh, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I may have messed that up a little bit, but we're not going to lack anything good. Everything good, God's going to give us everything we need. may not be what we want, but we're just children compared to God. Do you know what you would do if you had a million dollars? If you don't, you know what? It's not, it wouldn't be good for you. Right? God's going to give you everything that's good, everything you need, whatever's best for you. you. It must be better for you not to have it. If you, if you have a million dollars, maybe you couldn't handle uh, the day-to-day -day not knowing where the money's coming from. Maybe it's a, God's there to help you. God's seeing that this is the best place, the place where you're going to be leaning on me the most, where, you, where you're not going to fall away. I've got you in my hand. 
Maybe it's difficult circumstances. Maybe God puts you in a difficult circumstance because he knows you need it to keep you near to him. You need it to lean and trust in him today. Maybe you need it to be fervent in your prayers. Maybe your prayers are getting a little cold and God puts you in a hard situation and it brings you to tears again. God, help me. Have you ever noticed how when you're going through a difficult situation, you pray more fervently for other people going through difficult situations? It just, you know, makes, at least for me personally, when I'm going through something really difficult, the tears come quicker, you know? It's like I'm our, it's like the my heart is, is already so tender that when I hear about somebody else, it's like you just feel for them deeply, more deeply, at least I do personally. And maybe that's what I need, some, you know, some difficulty, some reminders so that way I can pray for others and feel um, more acutely their suffering and pray for them. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever difficult circumstance you're in that you're finding it difficult to be content, just know everything God does is kind. He's, he's being kind. Everything you need, he's going to give it to you. That's not to diminish how hard it is, but just to remember that we're like children. We can't see the end. We don't know where everything is going. We don't know what God's doing here. We can trust him. He's a good father. If a child can trust the parent, if a patient can trust the doctor, we can trust God, right? With everything. Everything in your life, even the difficult things, have a purpose. S. S, the next, the third point, is is the word silent. And it really comes from this idea that we spent a whole message talking about, where Paul says, do all things without grumbling. Do all things without grumbling. If we want to be content in every circumstance, that means we're going to grumble in no circumstances, right? We're not going to be grumbling. Yeah, S is silent. Silent, the word silent. And it really comes from do not grumble. In any circumstance, that what, if we're going to be content, one thing we know we should never be doing is we shouldn't be grumbling about what God's doing. We talked a whole message about that. That's not to say that you don't see things and you wish they were different. Remember, we talked about we go to God with it. Even Paul here is saying that there's situations that are worse and better, but yet he's saying I'm content in either, right? Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. Well, he's, what is he saying? It's better. <laughs> I'm, I'm in need. It's, it, it's, it's a kind, it's a good thing when people come and help and care and love you. He's not saying that they're, he's content because he doesn't notice any good or bad thing. You know, the Stoic, the Stoics are basically like unfeeling. And Paul's contentment isn't that. It's not this unfeeling contentment. It's not that, you know... Whether it's bad or it's good, I can't tell the difference. I just don't care no matter what. That's not his contentment. His contentment is rooted in God. And he does notice when it's worse or when it's better. But he's not going to grumble. That's one of the things he said. Do all things without grumbling. You know, the, the verse that we talked about that I really like that helps me is from Psalm 39.9. It's very similar to the verse, do all things without grumbling. He says, I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Just wherever I'm at, God's the one that did it. Remember the E, everything. Everything that is in your life is from God. Everything that he's, he's done is kind. And you know what? If I'm going to be content, I'm definitely not going to be grumbling. I, don't, I want no grumbling in my life. Does that mean I don't pray to God and say, God, this is hard. God, please help me. Absolutely, I pray like that. And that we should pray like that. And we talked about the psalmist prays like that. But we, we talk to the right person person right the one that's actually in control the one that even knows best is god and it's a big deal because when we grumble we are really criticizing god we're really saying that we're not satisfied with god with who he is there's a great illustration that that kind of helps with this let's imagine I'm not big into like art or something, but whatever the best painter is, I don't know hardly any painter, name of painters. Um, Michelangelo, maybe? Or did he do, did he even do painting? <laughs> okay. Um, 
that's bad. Uh, anyways, whatever the best painter is, or whoever you think the best painter is, let's just imagine. You know, I, let's imagine I somehow got whoever it is now to come in, and they're going to do a demonstration here for us to help me with my illustration. So they set up their art thing. They're out here painting, and you know, it starts out blank, and then you know they they get it all covered, but you still can't tell what the picture quite is. And someone, you know, says, "All right." You know, we're all out here watching. Someone says, all right, you messed up. I can't believe you did that. That's just terrible. Look at that mark over there. Can you imagine if somebody would do that to the best painter in the world when they're in the middle of the painting? It's like not only would they have to know they messed up, they would have to know where they're going, how it's going to end. They're criticizing them in the middle. You would think they would have the patience just to say, you know what, that, that doesn't look very good. Maybe they messed up there, but I'm going to at least hold my tongue until they get done, just to make sure. <laughs> well, the reality is, is that God is painting, right? The world is God. God put the world together, and what he said is he put it together the best way possible, right? And it doesn't look like that to us. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to criticize God right now in the middle. It's not over yet. This situ difficult situation I'm in is not over yet. It could turn out wonderful. The thing that looks like a big missed stroke could turn out to be a, a beautiful piece in the painting of my life or, or, or the life of our church or the, or the life of the church globally. Let's have enough respect for God just to say, you know what, right now this I don't see it, but at least I'm going to be silent because I, I know God. God knows more than me. God has a plan. I don't think... I know that God doesn't make mistakes. And even when it looks to me, surely that was a mistake. I know it's not. We're silent. Silent, that's the third point. Silent because we just look to God's wisdom. Silent because we don't want to hurt others around us. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 73, he's, he's kind of complaining to God, which is fine and right and good. You, if you're going to have, if you're feeling discontent, you might as well Tell God, he already knows, and, and work through it with him. But he says, if I had spoken thus, I would have betrayed my generation. You know, it's, it's a big deal uh, how we speak about God. And so we want to be silent uh, even when we don't understand it. doesn't mean we can't ask for prayer. Uh, it's hard to know what's sometimes in your heart, what's grumbling, what's not. But the Spirit can help you. And so I hope that's helpful. I'm, I just want to say once again, I'm not saying that we don't, talk about our difficulties. I'm not saying that we don't cry out to God and that when things are hard, I mean, think about what we're supposed to be crying, come Lord Jesus. In one way, that's saying we're discontent right now where we're at, aren't we? Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. We want, we want things to be put right. And yet, at the same time, we're saying, but I'm content to let God be in control now because I know one day He, he is going to put everything right. So we need the Spirit. We need wisdom to know what's grumbling and what's not grumbling, and it's very hard to draw straight. Here's all things on this side of the line are grumbling, when to speak and when not to speak, but we can trust the Spirit to do it, to help us, to be silent when we need to be silent, not to grumble. And then the last point, the fourth point, is thankful, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's First Thessalonians 5.18. But we just passed uh, in Philippians 4 where Paul talks about thanksgiving. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just thankfulness. And I'm glad thankfulness is last because sometimes, at least for me, I need to get through the first three, you know, to get to the point where I can just actually thank God for the difficult circumstance. To say, God, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for who you are, Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. E, I know you're in control of everything. I know you're going to give me everything I need. I know every promise that you've made, you're going to do it. And I don't want to grumble. I want to be silent. When I need to be silent and I trust you, I'm going to close my mouth because you've done it. Not going to grumble. But then, back to the T, maybe open our mouth and actually say, God, thank you for this difficult circumstance. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And I'm thankful. 
I know that you're kind, you're being kind, whatever it is. I know you want me to know you, and so you're, you're pushing me on, you're bringing me on. Thank you for it. Whatever you think I need, God, I trust you. I trust you with it. Thomas Watson again says this, If we must in everything give thanks, then in nothing should we be discontented. You see that these two ideas are opposed to one another. Your discontent means, I wish it was different. I don't like how it is. Your thankful means, I'm very thankful, God, in what you're doing, who you are. We want to be thankful in all, in all circumstances. Discontentment can really rob us of our thankfulness. Another example, I think I took this from this book, but I've used this before, is if somebody after the service said, hey, I got something for you, I, I, I forgot, here it is, and they throw you a big bag, and you grab it and yanks you to the floor, and your arm feels like it came out of its socket, and you say, man, why did you throw that? I don't know if I'm going to be all right or not. And then you open the bag, and it's full of gold. However bad that hurt your shoulder, that's the better that bag was, right? Because <laughs> the more it's the more precious Right, And in many ways, that's where we are with God. You know, God would not put us through pain any more than we have to have. To have. But whatever he puts us through, it's what we need and what's good for his glory and for others around us and for our Christ-likeness and for us knowing him. We don't want to complain, do we? Somebody throws you a big bag. What if uh, somebody threw you that big bag and yanked your arm? You didn't open it and you just started complaining. I don't even want this anymore. I can't believe you threw that. That hurt so bad. I can't believe you would do that. Take this back. I don't want this. And what was really in it? Full of gold. That would be sad. But that's really the case with every difficult circumstance in your life. Right? There's gold there. God's doing something good there. He's working it for your good. He's working all things for your good. It's very hard. And it may not be ideal. And you can say, God, I, I want this to change. But at least for now, this is where you have me. And I am thankful for whatever you're doing in this season. We can be thankful. A lot of quotes here from Thomas Watson, but they're, they're good. And I'll give you another one here. The wise God has ordered our condition. If he sees it better for us to abound, we shall abound. If he sees it better for us to be in need, we shall be in need. God sees, and in his infinite wisdom, the same condition is not best for all. That which is good for one may be bad for another. Think about it this way. You know, have, have you ever seen, um, I'm going to take my watch off here. Have you ever seen a watch that runs a mechanical watch? You know, uh, it, it's not running on, on batteries, but it actually has all the little gears. And, and you know, there's, I can't remember the name of the piece, but it goes back and forth like this. And, and there's a spring in there winding it all. You know, um, you know, it's like... Um, old old watches, some 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 newer watches go like that, and you wind it, you know. And here, I'll see if I can do this. Can't hear it, maybe. It's clicking, clicking, clicking. You know, you are just like a piece in the watch. God made you just a certain way, and you know what God's not going to do. You've got all these different personality traits. You've got different weaknesses, and and you've got different strengths. God's not going to put you out in, in the wrong place where you can't do anything, where you're not working into his plan. Whatever it is, your strengths and your weaknesses, God's going to put you where you fit and where you're going to be doing what he wants you to do and making the world the way he wants it to be. Wherever you are, God thought this is the best place. This is the place where they can do the most good, where they can be the most like Jesus, where they can be the most secure, where they can love me the most, where they can learn the most, and that's where I'm going to put them. You know, imagine if God told you that. What if God told you, hey, I've got a, I've got, I've got, I've got a move for you to make, and I've actually found the place I need you to be, right in this place. You know, you maybe heard audibly from God. I've got a place where I want you to be. It's the best place for you to be spiritually, it's a place where you can do the most good. It's a place where you can learn the most and grow the most. And it's going to be hard. Will you go? What would you say? Of course. 
And then what if God said, right where you're at? Because that's, that's what it is. That's really where, that's, God really is in control. God could have put you anywhere. God could have given you any circumstance, any health that God wants you to have or not have, any kids, mind or, or more difficult, any job, easier or harder, you know, whatever it is, maybe you don't sleep well. Yeah, I, I think for me personally, you know, I, I, I don't sleep well. I am uh, up um, in the night pretty regularly. But, you know, one thing, I've learned to be thankful because a lot of times when my time gets cut short for, from, from kids or just busyness in the Word, you know, you wake up for three hours in, in, in the night or whatever and you got time. It's quiet to meet with God and many times it seems like it's times when I really need it. And there's lots of things like that, hard things that there's blessings in that we just, we look for. God put you right where he wants you. Even the difficult things, he's using them for your good. Whatever God tells us to do, if we, if we, we trust him. You know, if God told me to go out, cut the grass one, one blade at a time with scissors, I'd be excited to do it. You know, it's like, I wonder what God's going to teach me. Like, there's a purpose. This is strange, but this is where God has me. If I was certain, you know. Well, sometimes our jobs kind of feel like that. and But God's there. He's with us. You know, instead of a thousand blades of grass, it's a thousand pieces of um, busy paperwork or, or whatever it is. But God's got us there for a purpose. And he's doing something in us. He's doing something through us. And we can trust him. We can be thankful. And then the fifth point, okay? So rejoice in the Lord always. God's in control of everything. Be silent. We're not going to grumble. Thankful. And then finally, just the acronym is rest. We just rest, right? The fifth point is just rest in Jesus. I mean, look what he says here. Why is it that he's learned to be content? I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's through Jesus. It's not I can do all things through my own strength. It's not I can do all things if I get everything just right or if I say everything just right or if I read all the right books or if I know all the right facts. It's I can do everything through Jesus. I'm resting in Him and his, He's going to give me strength. He's the one that knows. He's the one that placed me here. Resting in Jesus. He's the one with the power. He's the one with... I mean, maybe it's we need to rest in His righteousness. You know, if you're not resting in Jesus' righteousness and you're trying to do it in your own strength, I'm going to try and clean myself up. I'm going to try and get this sin out of my life. It's going to be exhausting. You're not going to be able to do it. You've got to rest in Jesus' righteousness. Rest in His goodness. Rest in His attention. Think, think about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's not one situation where God's seeing what's going on in your life, but then His attention turns away. And He... He forgets to help you, or he forgets to strengthen you, or he forgets what's going on, and suddenly, you know, you don't have the resources you need. That's not how God is. He's Almighty God. He knows every situation. He's got perfect attention, and he's going to help you in every second, every millisecond of your life. He he has infinite attention, uh, enough to, I mean, we've talked about this before, but if there was only one person in the world that God had to pay attention to and help in every in every way possible and put everything just how he wanted it to be for them to know him and to be like him and to help others. He couldn't put any more attention on that one person that he's already put on you because he's got infinite. He, he's God. He, he, can do, he can do that with every person and every detail in, in the world and that's what he has done for you. We can rest in him and his knowledge and his attention and his provision. He's going to give you just what you need and just when you need it. His wisdom you know what? We don't understand it. We don't know what, why all these things in our life are going on. But you know what? Who does? Jesus. And he, we can do whatever, wherever he's put us. We can do it. Whatever he wants us to do through his strength, resting on him. He, he's the one that knows. We wouldn't have put ourselves in the, in the situation, most of us, I don't think, where we are. We wouldn't have chosen the life that we currently live if we were going to do it. God's done it, but we're going to rest in him. In his provision. So that's the five points. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
everything. Remember, God's in control of everything. Everything he does is good and kind. He gives us everything we need. S for silent. We're going to not grumble. We're going to close our mouth. Um, instead of grumbling, we're going to give it to God. Maybe just silent prayer. God, this is difficult, but I, I want to make it through it. T, thankful. We're going to be even thank God for the difficult things and for the good things. And then finally, that spells out rest, so we're just going to rest in Jesus because he's the one that knows, he's the one that's able, he's the one that's put us here, he's got the righteousness, the power, the goodness, the attention, the provision, the, everything we need, the wisdom we need. So I'll give you two short, close this uh, sermon with just two examples from history. Okay, so the first is just imagine yourself, you're walking, you're in England, maybe you're on a, a nice It'd be nice to go on a trip tour around England. You don't have anywhere to be, and you're just looking at all the interesting history, seeing the sights, eating out. I'd be fish and chips. Is that that's England? I think. And you see a little cross in the road, made out of bricks, in the middle of the road. And you see over on the side of the street, there's a there's a plaque. I wonder what this cross is here for in the middle of the road. And this is what it says. Opposite this point, near the cross in the middle of Broad Street, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer were burnt for their faith in 1555 and 1556. That's real. This cross really exists. This plaque is really on the wall. And these three guys really died uh, there, burnt at the stake for their faith in the 1500s. And I want to read you the quote from, from Nicholas Ridley here. He, uh, this is what he says at his, when he was martyred. I tell you this, so you won't be ashamed by my death. If you love me, you will rejoice that God has called me to this honor, which is, the greater, which is greater than any earthly honor I could ever attain. Who wouldn't be happy to die for this cause, the cause of God? I trust my Lord God who put... His mind, will, and affection in my heart, and chose to loose all my world, worldly substance, my life too, rather than deny his known truth. He will come for me, and aid me, and strengthen me forever, even to the yielding of my spirit and soul into his hands. I feel like that was a good quote, really, about this idea, one, of contentment. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing, really, to say, I'm about to be burned at the stake. But I'm thanking God, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and I'm trusting in His strength, I'm resting in His strength. There was no complaining, there was this, it kind of hits all the points really there. There was no complaining, but there was rest. Resting, he says, that He will come for me, aid me, and strengthen me, even to the yielding of my spirit and soul into His hands. And so he's, he's resting in the Lord there. What an example of contentment. Very... Convicting, I mean, to think about the things that I lose my joy and contentment over, and yet here he is, this is a, this is a big thing. And God helped him. Do one more example, this is kind of on the opposite end. So that's like kind of a huge thing where he had contentment. And this is kind of the, the opposite end where it's just kind of a normal thing, just everyday thing. And this is from Robert Chapman's biography. Robert Chapman lived in England, uh, contemporary of Spurgeon. And he was actually taking a walking tour through Ireland to try and reach out there. And this, this is just a one little event in his diary that kind of struck me. So he was walking through Ireland. This specific day he walked 40 miles, which is quite a long walk. And uh, so this is what he said in his diary. The strong wind was in my face all day. Hail and rain and snow now and then. I asked the Lord to turn the wind, but his answer for that day was that his grace would suffice for me. And so I was happy in him and preached the word to a few on the way. I felt like that was another good picture on the opposite end of just here's your day-to-day -day life. It's very normal. It's not comfortable. And you wish it would be different. You may He prayed, God, would you turn the wind out of my face? It's cold. The snow and the rain and the hail, even he said, hitting but the Lord said no. And he said, his grace would suffice me, which he's resting in God to strengthen him. 
And so I was happy in him and preached the word to a few on the way. What a good outlook on life. God, this is a difficult circumstance. And it would be easier if the wind was at my back here, if there wasn't hail in my face. But would you do that? And if he, if he doesn't, you take it as his answer that he's going to give you grace, strength, and just be happy in him. That's an encouragement. I think, for me personally, I mean, what what a good example. I, w- I want that to be my day-to-day life, to be like Paul, to be like Nicholas Ridley, to be like Robert Chapman, to be like Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Know that everything he does is for my good. Commit not to complain, to be thankful and to rest in his strength for today for whatever he's put me through. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for you. We do rejoice that you're a good father. We rejoice that you sent your son. We're thankful for you, Jesus, as well, and the spirit that you've sent to help us, be with us, and be inside of us. Thankful for your death, Jesus. Thankful to you, Father, for sending being willing to send your son, we do ask you to help us. We don't want, uh, surely this will be tested this week, uh, can, our contentment, little things, big things coming in. Would you help us not to forget? We want to be doers of the word. We want to be lights in the world. Would you help us to rejoice in you? Really believe that you're in control. Please guard our mouth. We don't want to be complaining throughout the day or week or our life we want to be thankful we need help in it thank you for all the blessings you've given us we don't want to forget any any of them spiritual blessings physical blessings and we want to rest in your strength and we just confess we need you we we can't get through it it's a mirror it would be a miracle and um, if we got through life living this out even just a little bit like Paul did, we, we ask that you'd help us. We need your strength. We need you to fill us, to remind us. It's so easy to forget things we talk about and then go on and uh, just forget. We even talked about them six months down the road. Would you help us not to forget? We want to we wanna be different this next year than we were this past year, be more like you, more mature, more of a light. We, we need your help. Thank you for your righteousness. Forgive us, cover us with your blood, Jesus, for all the ways we've fallen short. Make us more like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.